Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Well, good morning, and let's welcome Lodi and those who are watching online. Give them a hand for joining us today, and uh, we're glad you've joined us. And um, as we're wrapping up 2 Timothy, we're almost done here. Next week will actually be done. But 2 Timothy is, especially the passage today, he's giving his final words. And uh, when you give final words, your last words before you die usually are not filled with any hypocrisy. They're pretty accurate of who you are and what you're made of. Some famous last words, P.T. Barnum. How were the seats today at Madison Square Garden? You knew what he was thinking about. The Irish comedian Spike Milligan, I told you I was ill, and that's actually on his tombstone. I told you I was ill. Bing Crosby, that was a great game of golf, fellas. Because he was playing golf. At nine holes, his doctor told him to stop playing, but he continued to play the next nine, and he died of a heart attack after the last hole with all his buddies around him. Leonardo da Vinci, I have, offered, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality I should have. Man, I talk about an A-plus achiever. Holy moly, Leonardo da Vinci saying that. Zachary Taylor, former president of the United States, said, I expect the summons very soon. I've tried to discharge all my duties faithfully. I regret nothing but I'm sorry that I'm about to leave my friends. That's powerful words. Todd Beamer on flight 93, let it roll, let's roll, as they took over the plane and prevented it from diving into another building. Nathan Hale from history, we've heard it quoted many times, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. This was during the Revolutionary War. He was a spy captured by the British and before he was hung, he said those words. And then the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He said this some 30 years after his first vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And as we wrap this up in the next two weeks, that line, probably one of the most quoted by Paul, um, is a, a show of who he was in those final hours, days in that jail cell. We've talked about hold it high, guard it well, pass it on. We've talked about that gifts are not automatic, that if you don't fan it, it's not going to flame. We've talked about you can't live a life committed to Jesus without paying a price. We said courage is not possible apart from a strong biblical conviction. We said that at the beginning of this. We've said that last Sunday. We'll keep driving at that. God's desire is not to make you comfortable. It's to make you grow up. Your mission is unstoppable. Does your lifestyle consistently reflect the character of God or are you just a visitor of God's presence? Stephen Broad. Mission possible. Dinesh taught us a couple of weeks ago and then last week 
You've been called and commissioned and will be held accountable. Hold the truth high. Guard the truth from the lies and pass it on. Now up to this point in this pass in this book, everything has been directed toward Timothy. It's all right, you, Timothy, you need to do this. You need to be built up here. You, you, you. And now he turns to I, me, and my. This is him reflecting on what he has been brought to. And what he does, he gives us the past, he gives us the present, and he gives us the future of what he's done and what he's doing and what he believes is coming for him. So if you have your Bibles or a smartphone device, it's 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're only going to cover three verses today, but they're power-packed. It says there in verse 6, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Verse 6, for I am being poured out like a drink offering. Now, to us in the Western world and to us who weren't born Jewish, and even Jews today wouldn't realize this, this is a reference way back in the book of Numbers. Because part of the offering in the temple was a drink offering. There was grain offerings. There was a bunch of different offerings that they would do. But a drink offering was wine. And what they would do, they would have the, the lamb that was to be sacrificed on the brazen altar. Brazen because there was fire. fire. It was hot. And it was, it, it was a massive, if you will, barbecue. And if you can imagine this lamb that is being sacrificed and cooked there, and then all of a sudden a goblet of wine was poured over the lamb as a drink offering. You guys who barbecue know exactly what would happen at that. I have a great bull barbecue. It gets hot, baby. And when I want to pour something on meat or something, what instantly happens? But that what I poured onto the meat quickly evaporates. And that's what was happening in this. It's, a, it's an incredible picturesque thing that, again, is lost on us because we don't practice it. And the Jews then, who are, would be reading this, they would understand of seeing this drink offering, but the steam would quickly evaporate away. And Paul, as he's saying, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I'm quickly going away, and I'm going to evaporate and all that is left is the lamb, the sacrifice. I mean, we spend a lot of time, you know, when death comes and how we'll be memorialized. I mean, we have headstones with our names on it. Some people get buildings named after it. Paul wasn't interested in any of that. I'm just a drink offering being poured out for the sake of Christ. That was his life. That was how he lived his life. Paul's life would soon disappear, and all could be seen was Jesus Christ himself. Poured out that I've given it all away. He refers to that in Philippians 2.17. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, 
on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. I am glad and I rejoice with all of you that I've spent it all, but for the sake of Christ. He says there in verse 6, not only that he's being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Now the time has come, he's not referencing like it's tomorrow. He knew it was going to be soon. We'll see that next week because he uh, tells Timothy, please come quickly. My time on earth is not long here. But when he was talking about his departure, it was interesting the word he used because the word for departure here can be tied in with uh, oxen who have been pulling a load and now they're set free of a prisoner who's been shackled in a cell and now the chains have been, been broken. Or like a tent, when you're done camping, you pull the ropes and the tent comes down. But the best picture of this is a boat that's been moored to a dock. And the ropes are untied and the anchor is pulled and then you set out. And he says, I'm like a ship that has been tied up at the harbor. And when death comes, I'm taking off to go and be with Christ, which will be far better. Uh, I think we spend so much time worrying in this world that we do not look forward to the one to come. And he viewed that this life, I'm moored, I'm tied down, but the day is coming when I'm going to be released. The day is coming when I'm pulling up anchor and I'm sailing to a much better place. That was his focus. I mean, again, we, when we think about life and when life ends, we, I did a service here on Friday for Jimmy. Um, and yeah, I, 25 years old, he's gone. It's not how we would think it should be, but if I read my Bible right, the Psalms tell me that he has marked out the days for us, that he knows exactly how long, and which is easier for me to read when I'm 63, but when you're 25. But God, it's the truth is still that he knows how long. But that's why Paul's reflection, 1 Corinthians 15, 53 through 55 says, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed and with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then we say, like it is written, what is true? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? For the person is past, there's no sting. For us who are, who are witnessing that, there's a sting there, but not for the person who's gone. And Paul knew this. He says, guys, this is just momentary. It's just like a drink offering. It's going to evaporate. And I'm heading to a much better place. So he's talked about his past, but now he's talking about his present. In verse 7, for I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The literal translation of this, the good fight I have fought. The course I have finished. The faith I have kept. The good fight. Theodore Roosevelt wrote something back in 1899. Some of you I know have heard it. 
It's a great, I even put it in your notes so you can look at it because it's a great quote. And it's true then as it is true today. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming who does actually try to do the deed, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Far better it to be dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checked by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in a gray twilight that knows neither victory nor death. That may be talking about to the 35-year-old still living in his parents' basement who has something to comment about everybody else's life but has never lived it himself. I mean, how many people just take pot shots at... You're trying, you're failing. Oh, he failed again. At least he's trying. What are you doing? Paul said, hey, I've fought the good fight. I've been in this, and it is a fight. I have no regrets, no sense of unfulfillment, no sense of in, uh, incompleteness. I have fought the good fight, or the good fight I have fought. And it's interesting, the word fight, that's where we, in the Greek here, that's where we get our word agony from. I mean, when you see a fighter in the ring that's giving his all, you see agony. I mean, you see the punches thrown. You see the punches taken over and over and over again. I mean, Paul knew what it was to fight. In 2 Corinthians 11, when people were doubting his credentials, saying, you know, really, well, we believe these guys are better. This is, this is Paul speaking. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the moon move. I've been in danger from rivers and dangers from bandits, dangers from my own countrymen and dangers from Gentiles and dangers in the city and dangers in the country, in dangers at sea, and in the danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I've gone without food. I have been cold and naked. That's what's on the back of his card. That's his resume. I have fought the good fight. Paul knew that this battle we have is not only from the outside. We've been talking about that, guys. You step up. Paul's said that in the last chapter, guys. If you're, if you're desiring to live a Christ-like life, one like Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. There is going to be challenges from the outside. But there's going to be challenges from the inside as well. Because you're going to have to fight that sinful nature that still rests inside of you. I love this quote. It's from a commentary that I read. It had, it had been a fight against Satan 
against the principalities and powers, the world rulers of this darkness in the heavenlies, against the Jews and the pagan vice and violence, against Judaism amongst the Galatians, against fanaticism amongst the Thessalonians, against contention, fornication, litigation among the Corinthians, against incipient Gnosticism among the Ephesians and the, and the Colossians, against fightings without and the fears within. And last but not least, against the law of sin and death operating within his own heart. That the battle is, guys, both outside and inside, the spiritual struggle that we are facing. We're, we're going to be attacked. That's going to happen. And we have to be strong. We have to fight. But we have to fight from the inside demons that we all have. Every one of us. And it's a battle with our sinful nature. It's a battle with a sinful culture. But Paul could say at the end of the day, I have fought a good fight. Jesus said in Luke 13, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Wide is the gate, he said, that leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate. Because you're going to have to fight everything from the outside. You're going to have to fight everything from the inside. And I fought the good fight. Verse 7 goes on to say, and I have finished the race. No one, not even Paul, chooses his or her course, the race that you're on. Because each of you are on race. If you're a believer in Christ, he has set a course out for you. Every single one of you have a course that has been marked for you. And I'm not talking about what you're doing for a living. I'm not talking about necessarily how many kids you have and all. I mean, that, that can be part of that course. But, you know, we set a course, okay, I'm going to graduate in this, and then I'm going to study here, and I'm going to get this, and then I'm going to buy a house, and then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to I'm going to vacate, and I'm going to retire in this state, and I'm going to da-da-da-da-da. We, we plan our own course, but I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus has planned a course for each one of you. I mean, over and over again, it talks about this course that has been planned, Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance, what? The race marked out for us. Now listen to me. Every one of you who have given your life to Jesus Christ... A race has been marked out for you. That's why it goes back to Ephesians 2.10. That we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has before the beginning of time set for you to do. This race has been marked out for you. Shed off the things that entangle. Shed off the things that are going to trip you up in this race. And I guarantee you, Paul had in his mind the, the marathon, because we know the marathon. Has anyone here run a marathon? Raise your hand. Anyone here? All right. Marathon, marathon. You guys are weird people. I mean, but most people don't understand. Why is it 26, what, 26.2 or something like that miles? Because it, it was a, a race in honor of a guy, which I don't even know his name. I couldn't find his name. 
who the, the Greeks were fighting Darius the Persians in a around a town called Marathon, and the Greeks actually defeated Darius, and so they sent a runner back to Athens, and it was 26 points so, such and such miles. And as he reported the victory, he died on the steps of the people that he told that the victory is won. And so in honor of that, they dedicated this race because this, this runner had given it all to deliver the news. That's where Paul's mind is. I have finished. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. But I finished it. Proverbs 4, 25, 27. Let, us, let our eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I've kept the faith. This kept the faith has two meanings. It has kept that he preached the gospel that he was commissioned to do. But the keep also is in the concept of I kept this treasure safe. I mean, this whole thing, you know, is hold it high, honor it. I mean, it, it's the treasure that has been given to him, the gospel to preach. He has kept that safe. He never turned from the great truths and the doctrines of the word of God. He kept it safe because he treasured it. Now I've read a story this week that uh, I didn't think it was true because I mean I read a lot of stories and illustrations and if names aren't used in particular places I go okay it's just a story but I know this story to be true because I researched it because this is not the only place this has happened. Because there was a French girl she was born blind and so she knew how to read with braille in Braille. But a friend of her had given her the Gospel of Mark and she began to read that and she was so blessed by it. She read it so much and went over the pages so much that her fingers developed calluses. And in her thinking she thought well if I cut those off then I can, because she was losing sensitivity, then I could read more. But you can figure what happened. She cut them off, scar tissue took place and now she couldn't feel it at all. And it is said of her that she took her Braille Bible and kissed it saying this, farewell. Farewell, sweet word of my heavenly father. But as she kissed it, she realized that her lips could feel the bones. And from then on, she read her Bible with her lips. Can you picture that? CNN did a story on a Chinese gal that, that has to do that right now. She has no sensitivity in her fingers but her lips. How she treasured the word of God. Guys, the Lord does not require success. He, he wants faithfulness. Because we mark what success is. I mean, a pastor is usually marked by says, how many butts are in the chairs? What's the giving like? How many events have you had? That's how many churches are measuring the effectiveness of a pastor. Do, are they successful? But I'm telling you, God looks at faithfulness as that. 
verse 8, he says this, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Some of your translations may say laid up. Now there's something, a treasure laid up for me here. Now there's something in store, stored up for me. Again, the storing is kind of like the word keep. It means it's, it's guarded. It's being kept safe. And he's talking about a future reward of a crown. And the scriptures, guys, are full. And, and you can look in your notes. There are plenty of places you can go there in your notes. Uh, just where it talks about future rewards for our faithfulness. Based on how we live, what we've done with this life he's given us, what we've done with the gifts and talents he's given us, there are rewards for that. Matthew 6.20, Jesus says, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in. He tells Timothy in his first letter, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasures for themselves. Over and over the scriptures talk about this treasure that is being laid up to the point where Jesus says in Matthew 16, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what he's done. Can you see that Jesus himself with the father, the angels coming to you, coming to me to reward us for the faithfulness in living this life? And that's why Paul said, guys, fight the good fight, run the race, keep the faith because there's in store for you a treasure that he's going to give to you because of your faithfulness. And he talks about here, and there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Now, understand the crown was not the crown that we think like the Queen of England, a crown type thing. The crown, he's used as Stephanos, which is a kind of a circular wreath of a laurel. It was the same word that used for the crown of thorns. But this crown was awarded to those who were victorious in, in battle, those who were dignitaries, those who won the Olympic Games. And not only is the winning, because you've trained yourself, you've dedicated yourself, and now you're crowned the winner, what they would do, the town that you came from, they would knock out a section of the, of the city wall and put a bronze plate there with your name on it. All of a sudden, all debts were erased. You lived tax-free for the rest of your life. You never had want for food. You could truly live, which, you know, we've used this phrase. Some of you young people don't use it. He re they could rest on their laurels. That's where that comes from. I've been victorious. I have a crown. I don't have to worry about a thing ever again. And that's the imagery Paul is talking about. But this crown of righteousness is not Paul's righteousness. I'm not building this crown for righteous acts and it gets bigger and bigger. The crown of righteousness, because righteousness is a gift from God. It's a righteousness that's been imputed to my account. I have the righteousness of Christ. It's not my righteousness that I'm saved. I'm saved on the basis of his righteousness. And it's been put to my account. That's, and I will be rewarded of the crown when I get to heaven. 
Righteousness always carries also the idea of practical righteousness, of how I'm living my life today through the power of the Holy Spirit, where I do battle with the unrighteousness in me of my sinful nature, that the power of the Holy Spirit gives me the power to live righteously, how I treat my wife, how I treat my kids, how I live in this community, how I run my business, all those things. That is the practical righteousness. But someday, he says, there will be a crown of righteousness that you will receive, not based on yours, but all based on his. In your notes is a whole bunch of crowns. There's five crowns that are spoken in the Bible. You can look those up later. But this crown of righteousness is going to be given to those, he says, who all have longed for his appearing. Now, this long for his appearing, not because we all have done it. You got a big test tomorrow. Jesus, please come. I mean, your taxes are, Jesus, please come. You're going through a difficulty. Jesus, please come. And it's not that kind of longing. This is this built up, you can't wait kind of longing. Now, there's a, a chef in this room. He's a five-star uh, Michelin chef, Mr. John Grinrod. And Mr. John Grinrod had, has, has taught me many things, but he induced it into my life. Something that has truly impacted me and others. It's called brown butter. <laughs> How many know what brown butter is? Raise your hand. Okay. You can't buy brown. Uh, maybe you can buy brown butter. I've never shopped for it, but it, no. Brown butter is not a stick that you buy at the store that's brown. Okay. This is brown butter and brown butter will change your life. I'm going to tell you that right now. If you've not experienced, and some of the fun is watching somebody eat brown butter for the first time to see their reaction. I remember the first time I had it. I remember the first time John did it up at our elder retreat. Stan Saggart, one of our elders. I mean, to watch him eat that for the very first time, it was like he discovered gold, and it was all his. I mean, it was just, ah. I mean, it was a beautiful thing to watch. This last, this Friday, I got to honor our, our Nana and do a birthday. And she told me all the things that she wanted to eat. And she didn't say brown butter because she never had brown butter before. Because the process of brown butter takes a while. I mean, you don't throw it. I, I thought, can I just throw this in the microwave, set it for so many minutes, and then just pop out brown butter? Maybe so. I didn't even investigate that. But part of this, you, know, you get a pan. You get a pan that's not dark all the way. You don't want all those black eyes. You want to be able to see the bottom. And you put a stick of butter, in our case, several sticks of butter into this pan. And you turn it on to where it's just, it's melting. Now, it's not, you're not softening it like you're cooking cookies. You're not melting it like you're putting on popcorn. I mean, you're, you're melting this, but you're getting it to a little boil. It's bubbling. And it's just getting all happy, all right? And at some point in that process as you're watching and stirring, because you're not setting this and going outside doing something else. I mean, you're stirring this. You're over it and you're watching it. Because then there comes a time where the fats separate. And that's where you would use a clarified butter for, for hollandaise sauce. It's not like I love to eat or cook, okay? All right, you use that for hollandaise sauce. And, and that's what I use when I, when I make my hollandaise sauce. But, all right, but you've got to keep it going now because, you know, it's going to separate. You're going to turn. It still looks yellow. It still looks, but 
just wait, be patient, keep stirring, keep stirring. Because all of a sudden at one point, you know, it's going to foam like this and you're going to have to pull the pot back a little bit to let the heat come down and go down. And you put it on and it just bubble, 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 bubble. And what's happened, minutes and minutes and minutes are going by and you're going, is this ever going to happen? And then a different kind of foam is going to develop. And this foam's going to come up. And what's going to happen? Just right before your eyes, you're going to see this like little brown volcano come up from the top of it and begin to peel out. And you just stir and stir. And all of a sudden that yellow butter turns golden brown. And I'm telling you, if you've not tried it, and please don't, don't walk out of here. What did you learn today? Brown butter. That's why I learned about brown butter. Because the joy of the brown butter is when you serve it to someone, which I got to serve with everyone that was at the house. I took a little piece of filet that I'd made and dipped it in the butter, gave it to them, and see the... I mean, even my grandkids just reacted, just, I want more, Papa! That anticipation, that just joy, you can't wait. That's what's talked about here. Those who are longing. Because when I'm stirring, I know what's going to happen. It's going to take a while. I can't take my eyes off it. I mean, I'm busy working. I'm busy at the task. But it's anticipation for when all of a sudden out of that foam comes this brown volcano. And then you just start stirring and it all comes down to this beautiful nectar that God has created. I mean, and it's that anticipation. It's that part where I'm longing to have that. Do we have that? You've probably heard the saying that are you too heavenly minded to do any earthly good? Books have been written about that. Are you so heavenly minded that you can't do anything earthly good? And I get it to the point where they're saying you're just so much into God that you're not doing the work down here. I decide, let's switch that up. Are you too earthly minded to do be any heavenly good? That we are so stuck here. We're so stuck in our race that we've marked out for us. That our concerns are about here and here matched to eternity is that. Gone. A drink offering vapor. Poured out. Gone. Or is our focus what is to come? That we get so trapped up into the. I'm not saying throw it all away, um, but that's part of it where I'm not allowing the things that I've sought after to tie me up. I'm not saying it's wrong to have things, but do the things have you? Do you own it or does it own you? You have a course out. Is it God's course that he has set for you or is it your own course? I'm not saying the two can't be some of the same, but have you even asked them? 
Is this where the direction I should be going? Is this what I should be doing? Man, I'm going to be retired at this end, then I'm, I'm out of California. I'm going to head here. Did you consult God on that? Maybe God has a different plan. And may, God may say, whatever you want to do. I mean, again, that might be part of it too. But most of the time, we never ask in the first place. Most of the time we say, we're going to do this, and we say, come on, God, bless me. Rather than following the course that's been marked out for us. Because I promise you, this course that he's marked out for you, there's going to be pain and suffering along the way. Why do I know that? Because the scripture over and over. If you want to live a life honoring the God, if you want to live a life like Jesus, guess what you're going to have happen? You're going to get attacked from the outside, and you're going to be attacked from the inside. But fight the good fight. Finish the course. Keep on treasure the faith. Because there is in store for you a crown and rewards. That he's going to come and give to you based on your faithfulness. How are you doing in the ring? These are the questions in your notes. How's the fight going? How's the course God has set for you going? Set you on. What is it? Do you know? Have you asked? How are you treasuring your faith? And are you truly anticipating, waiting. You can't, you can't wait till it happens, his return. Because one way or another, guys, whether I leave this world in a rapture or I leave this world in a, uh, in a box, it's that fast. The good fight I have fought, the course I have finished, the faith I have kept. Father in heaven, I, I read these words and I can see Paul in a dingy prison waiting, waiting to be with you. And we have these words, whether he realized that these words would be read 2,000 years later to bring encouragement or conviction or a little of both. Father, may we realize as believers in you, you've put us in a ring and we're called to fight. And it's hard. There's agony involved, but it's worth it. You've given us a race to run and it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And it's difficult. It's hard. Times I want to give up but don't because it's worth it. And for us to keep the faith, to hold on to that, to treasure what you have given to us because someday is laid up for us 
crown of righteousness, not my righteousness, but Father, the righteousness of your Son. May we live with longing for that day to be with you when the ropes on the dock are pulled, the anchor is lifted, and we set out for the open sea. This I pray in Jesus' name.